I ask you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 119. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. We'll supply you with one. If you don't own a Bible, let us know. We'll give you one. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, in the book of Psalm, the longest chapter. And every line, every verse is about one thing. Pool that God provides for you to be pure. Now when I say pure, I'm not talking about any one particular sin but purity in general, untainted by waywardness and disobedience. We're called to protect it. And this tool that God has given us to protect that purity is His Word. It's Scripture. All of Psalm 119 is one really long acrostic, meaning that every verse starts with the same letter in the alphabet for eight verses, and then the next eight verses goes to the next letter in the alphabet, each word, of the first word of each line, starting with that letter to help them memorize it, to help us learn it. And so your Bibles might have at the top of the first eight verses, Aleph, and then at the break between verse 8 and verse 9, it says Beth, and then it keeps going, Gimel, Dalit, Hey, and so forth. That's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A through Z. This is how complete the Word of God is, how sufficient the Word of God is to supply you with what you need. So last week we talked about discipleship. It takes work. It takes work to obey. It takes work to not disobey. It takes work to do what God is asking us to do. We don't just bank on God's grace and just let our days wash over us. We, we get to work. It takes effort. So I want to turn your attention to the second octet, the second set of eight verses. That's in verse 9. It goes through verse 16. I'll read it through, and then we'll just move through it a verse at a time, taking note of what it has there for us. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, by guarding it, according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This passage is a solution to a problem that you may not have. Or that you may not care about. And I don't know how to make you care about it. 
But you see that it starts with a problem in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? If you think this is only for young men, you're mistaken. It's directed there, but it's not only for men and it's not only for youth. These, these, this doesn't expire. What is the problem? How can a young man keep his way pure? How can he walk the right path? How can he obey, please God, and not stray from it? How is that possible? How do you do that? If you've known someone that started out going to church and reading the Bible and then they, then they just strayed, they left. But what keeps someone from doing that? Temptation comes along and just completely wrecks your life because you caved in. What would keep you from caving in so that your life wouldn't be wrecked? The Bible talks about the path to destruction versus the path of fearing the Lord. How do you stay on the path of fearing the Lord, obeying the Lord, and not toward the path of destruction? Well, it has to be guarded. It has to be protected. And how do you do that? Scripture. Scripture is how you do that. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can anyone keep their way pure? By guarding it according to your word. You want to stay on the path. You need guardrails so that if you swerve a little bit, boom, you might bump the guardrails, but at least you're staying on the road. Any of you have gone bumper bowling, once the bumpers are up, you don't really have to think about it. Just bowl. The guardrails are there. You don't have to wonder about it. Well, are the guardrails going to work? Is it there? Are the guardrails there? Yes or no? Bowl. Right? Don't even have to aim. Your life will be easier if you have guardrails instead of making things up as situations come. God is not asking you to make things up. He's provided guardrails. We have to learn it. We have to put it in place. We guard it. Notice how the language is. How can a young man keep his way pure? It's guarded by the word. That's not quite what it says. By guarding it according to your word. So you guard it. You guard it according to something that tells you how to guard it. That's scripture. So it takes work. You have to do it. You have to guard it according to to his word. If you've ever opened a Christmas gift that's really expensive and it's really nice, but it comes with a manual. I remember as a kid, if any toy came with a manual, I wouldn't read the manual. That is a really boring Christmas morning. Everyone's playing their Legos and playing their toys, and I'm there, page four. Here's how you connect the wires. That's boring. And if you're like me, you'd give in to the temptation to just go ahead and use the device or use the thing, whatever it is, uh, read the manual some other time. And that can cause problems. That can cause problems. And it's the same way with your life. Yeah, I'll read the manual later. I'll read the, I'll read the manual when I get to it, when I get to that particular problem in life. When you get to that particular problem in life and the guardrails aren't already up, it's already late. And you're going to make a mess of things. Get the guardrails in place now so you can protect your way, protect the purity. If you don't care about purity, then this message isn't for you. This is for someone who cares about protecting that way. You can hear it in the words. I don't want to be impure. I don't want to disobey you. I don't want to displease you. God, what do I need so that I can protect that? If you're not there yet, you need to ask God for that thirst. Because it can only come from Him. 
This isn't a way to be religious. How can a young man look religious? How can a young man appear religious to his neighbors? Do religion, do Christianity. This is about his relationship or her relationship with God. And so he says in verse 10, with my whole heart, I seek you. Ultimately, we're not called to be students of the Bible. We're called to be students of the Lord. And the Bible is what he gives us to do that. We don't worship the Bible. It's the author that we're in love with. And so he says in verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander. He's asking God, let me not wander from your commandments. Recognizing, like we sang, we are prone to wander. And we feel that pull. And so we ask God to keep us on the path. But you'll notice it's not enough to just pray, God, keep me from straying. Would you please help me? God is responding by saying, I've given you the primary tool to help you. And prayer is good. We're going to talk about prayer next week. But we don't dodge the study of Scripture when that is the tool that God has given us to keep us from wandering. And so he doesn't say, God, just give me the feeling, give me the, the feel like it, you know, help me to wake up wanting it. He says, let me not wander from the text, your commandments that can be read and handled and opened and studied and underlined and memorized. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How is he not going to sin against him? By storing up God's word in his heart. Well, that involves memorization. If you ask an outdoor enthusiast, what is the best survival knife? Often the answer you're going to hear is the one that you have on you. You can have the awesomest tools at home in your garage hanging on the wall, but when you're in a dangerous situation, it's what you have on you that matters. And it's the same with Scripture. You can have a huge study Bible that pastor gave away. Put it on your shelf, and it's awesome on your shelf. People come over, oh, cool collection of study Bibles. Wow, you're doing commentaries. That's awesome. But if you don't remember it in the moment, When you're at work or when you're at school and that temptation is hitting you, you're not going to reach for the study Bible. It's the time you spent studying the Bible that stays with you so that in that moment, you might not sin. It's stored in your heart, not on your shelves. And so I think memorization is a key part of that. You may be, like me, weak at memorization, but you have to go over it again. Start with small verses. And you might jumble up the translations. You started the first half of what you memorized is in the KJV because that's what you grew up with, and the second half is something else. Who cares? <laughs> you remember the content. You remember the words, and it, you, can, you can pull it out when you need it in that moment. You think of how Jesus responded to Satan's temptations in the wilderness, and, and Jesus responded with uh, Scripture. You think of how the mess that we're in started with Satan telling Eve, did God really say this? Actually, I think he said that. 
She should have stored in her heart what God actually said and responded to Satan with, that's not what he said, he said this, and I'm doing that. And so you see the relationship between storing the word in your heart and not sinning. Uh, there's a particular app, I normally don't pause sermons to, to uh, talk about apps on your phone, but I think this one's helpful. Uh, it's called Fighter Verses, or the Fighter Verses app. Okay. Now this app has, uh, they have verses that they'll suggest that you memorize, or you can plug in the verses that you want to memorize, plug it in there, uh, and it will help you store the ones that you're memorizing. It will quiz you on the verses you're trying to memorize. So it'll give you, for example, fill in the blank. It'll give you a verse and take out a few ver- words by putting blanks, and you've got to fill in the blanks there. Uh, you can record yourself trying to say it, it records it, and then as it plays it back, it plays back your audio of saying it, and you're looking at the text. You can see, oops, that's where I, okay, that's where I'm messing up. That's the part I'm messing up. There's different ways that it quizzes you. It tracks the verses you're trying to memorize. And maybe you can make a goal this year. You know, I've got a year to memorize seven verses. Can I memorize seven verses in a year? Just start with one at a time and see how long it takes you to memorize one verse. Okay, and then you keep it going. And these are verses that you're storing in your heart. So you could just look up the shortest verses in the Bible and start there. That's fine. I'm not even going to disparage that, honestly. But probably better is, what are some verses that are going to help me fight when I need it? What are some of those tools, survival knife type verses that I can use in the moment to get out of the situation that I can bring up in my mind, that the Holy Spirit can bring up in my heart to remind me, don't, don't do that. God's word says blessing is here. Destruction is there. Do this instead. You guard it. You guard that purity according to his word. You seek it with your whole heart. You seek him with your whole heart so that you don't wander from his commandments. You store up his word in your heart so that you don't sin against him. Now, exposure to the Word and memorization is great. It's not enough. If you don't understand what it is that you memorize, it's not helpful. You're just, that's just called reciting. You know, you're just uh, saying it back, but you're not, you're not understanding what it means. And so it's more than memorization. It's learning it. It's study. said last week, discipleship takes effort. We, we have to study. Look at what it says in the next verse. He says, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Okay. Why is the Lord blessed? Well, if God, like we read at the call to worship, is the source of all blessing, of course he's blessed. He's the source of it. He is blessing. It comes from him. He's the fount of every blessing. And so he's blessed. And so why does he want to be taught the Lord's statutes? Because that's where blessing is found. You want God to bless you? You want a relationship with God where he's blessed and you're getting the splash over from his blessing into your life? Well, then your heart has to be aligned with this request. Teach me your statutes. I want to learn. I want to learn. There's a hunger there 
that maybe has not yet quite infected every one of us. If you're completely satisfied to only eat what the pastor serves you on Sundays in a sermon, you don't have the hunger yet. You're still like a little toddler that's being told, you got to eat your veggies, here you go. But you're not on your own going to the healthy aisles and securing your own recipes to eat healthy out there. You've got to start getting your recipes together yourself. You have to start feeding yourself throughout the week and not just waiting for Sunday to come around. Does that make sense? Sundays are great. I love doing this. This is, this is helpful, but it, it, this doesn't replace the hunger that can only come from inside you. Where you come to the Lord and you say, God, you are blessed. All blessing comes from you, and I don't always know how to procure it. I don't always know how to, what to do with it. I don't always know how to get it. I sometimes don't even, can't even tell a blessing from a curse. What is actually a curse feels like a blessing to me because I'm chasing it, and I shouldn't be chasing it. Help me know the difference. God's saying, okay, you ready to learn? This series is called Building Disciples, and disciple is a word for student. It takes work. It takes study. He wants to learn because he's asking God to teach him. And that's where blessing is found. You know, you might... You might feel like you're not much of a student. Some point during your life, you were in class and some really boring teacher killed a subject for you. Maybe a number of boring teachers killed studying for you. And you sat next to other kids that all they have to do is hear it once, they play video games all night, and they go to school the next morning and they ace the exam. You read it until the words were a blur and you got a C. Somewhere along the way, you decided, I'm not a student. I'm not a student. Maybe some doctor slapped an acronym on you and labeled you ADHD or something like that. Yeah, you just, you're not a learner. That's a lie. God would not require something of you that you can't do. Now, he's not asking you to go get a master's in seminary. But if you've gone, I'm not good at math, I'm not good at history, I'm not a good student, I don't know how to study, and then you transfer that onto the Bible, that's a lie. You can learn the Bible. You can read. Can you read as fast as someone else? Maybe not. Does it take you three times reading something where someone else might catch it the first pass? That's fine. I mean, who did Jesus grab as his disciples? He didn't grab educated elite people, tradesmen. But the author's calling us to join him in asking God to teach so that we can learn. He says in verse 13, one of the effects of that is that he declares it with his mouth, with his lips, with my lips, he says, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. What are the things that we talk about? What are the things that fill up our conversations? They're the things that we care about. They're the things that we love. They're the things that we focus on. That's what takes up our conversation. That's what, is, that's what the content of our conversation tends to be. And so he's saying, I want to study it, I want to learn it to the point where I'm spewing it, I'm declaring it, I'm sharing it with others. In verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Everything that comes out of your mouth, everything that passes from you to my ears, I want to learn it, I want you to teach it to me, and I want to declare it. I want to declare all of it. 
Later in the series, we'll talk about the importance of declaring, but we don't know what to declare if we don't learn it. So learning is paramount. And that might sound a little dry. That might sound like, okay, we have to be students. We have to study. Maybe I should go buy some highlighters. Maybe I should raise my hand at the next book giveaway or something. And it just sounds like, okay, I've got to do it. But it's not enough to just put it on your to-do list. You're supposed to enjoy it. <laughs> You're supposed to go, man, I, this is awesome. This is awesome. And you might go, man, I'm never going to get there. God, God will get you there if you ask him for it. Because he says in verse 14, in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I delight in them as much as in all riches. Now when you see riches there, I don't want you to think of things that you really don't aspire to. Um, you know, maybe we think of extreme wealth and we think of yachts and you know, penthouse up in you know, a skyscraper or something. And it's either just not attainable, it doesn't, you don't really think about it, you're not reading magazines and learning yachts because you're not really going after that. But what is it that you would love? I mean, are you a collector? Do you collect things? What if you had the rarest set of that thing that you collect? Would that be awesome? Like, what would, what would flabbergast you? Do you love cars? What if you had the three, your three favorite classic cars in totally mint condition in your garage tomorrow morning? I mean, what, what would flabbergast you? He's saying, I enjoy your word like that. And it doesn't cost money. It's right there in front of us. A gold mine to dig into if we would delight in it. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. He says, delight in verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. Now, here's the other ironic thing, okay? Not just the fact that we're being called to delight in studying, but we're called to delight in studying rules, commandments. So here's a tip, okay? When you're reading Psalm 119, every line is about God's Word. It's about Scripture. But each line uses different words to get at the same thing. Synonyms, essentially, right? Words that mean essentially the same thing, but they're different words. Why do we have synonyms? Well, because A, language would be very boring if we only had one word for any given thing. And B, because words never quite mean exactly the same thing. They're always nuanced a little bit, and you can see why the other word exists. They They don't cast it in the same exact light. So, If you walk through verse 9 through 16, you'll see the synonyms for Scripture. Verse 9 calls it God's Word. He speaks it. It's a conversation. He's talking to you. It's His Word to you that you're listening to. If you've ever gotten, you know, to the point where you haven't spoken to your spouse in a while or your mother in a while and or your mother hasn't heard you in a while, and they say, it's just good to hear your voice. I love hearing your voice. I haven't heard your voice in a long time. There's something precious about the word. And verse 10, let me not wander from your commandments. Is there, God has his word, and then he also has commandments? His commandments is his word, and his word is a command. They're his commandments. 11, word again, I store up your word in, in my heart. 
verse 12, teach me your statutes. That sounds legislative, right? This is coming down from a high court. These are statutes that his people are supposed to live according to. And then verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules. I mean, do we typically rejoice in rules? I think we normally complain about rules. We complain about all kinds of rules. The rules our parents gave us, rules that teachers give us, rules that our bosses give us, a bunch of rules. We normally don't like rules because rules are constrictive. Rules feel like like they're not organic, like rules have to be in place to just control masses of people, and so we all have to respect rules. Rules are annoying when you're the only one obeying them and everyone around you is breaking the rule, and you're like, well, okay, so great. The rule is in place to kind of cramp my style (laughs) while everyone else doesn't care care about the rules. So rules are annoying. But this is what he's delighting in. I declare the rules. I want rules. I want rules from your mouth. Rules are great. I love it. Please give me more. Will you teach them to me? I can proclaim them. How annoying is this guy going to be? He's the rule guy. That's that's what he's declaring with his mouth. Hey, did you know God has a rule about that? He's going to lose friends fast. Unless his friends also desire God's rules. Unless his friends also want to keep their way pure, then they're going to delight in those rules. If somebody approaches you and calls you out on something, is the first thing out of your mouth to call them holier than thou? What are you up on your mighty horse? Oh, you're so perfect. Is that the first? Maybe you don't say it, but that kind of that reaction? That's not someone that wants purity. The reaction should be, if they're right, the reaction should be, I do want to be holier. And maybe in this particular area, you are holier than me. I need to grow up. I need to get up. Not bring that person down by bringing up some other dirt in their life. So and there's a sense in which we need to love and crave rules. Is there a rule about that? I want to know that rule. Because there's another guardrail. There's another cliff I won't be going over. Because of that commandment. In verse 14 he calls it testimonies. These are things that speak of the truth of God. They're testimonies. In verse 15, they're precepts. It's like rules. Sounds a little less legalistic or legal. And then verse 16, statutes again. I will delight in your statutes. And then word again. I will not forget your word. And so his word, his commandments, his precepts, his statutes, his testimonies, his ways, his rules, they benefit us. And so we love them for it feels constrictive, but the, God's rules are never as constrictive as going off the cliff because they lead to life, not destruction. So it might feel a little bit unrealistic at first because he's delighting in these things and we don't necessarily feel like we delight in it. You maybe felt like you dragged yourself here this morning. <laughs> you barely got here. I mean, it just... Delighting in it, enjoying it. Maybe you've tried to read the Bible before and it just feels like work, you know? How do you get to the point of delighting in it? Well, I want to adjust our understanding of delight. We tend to think of delight as a feeling that just comes to you or doesn't come to you. 
You watched the movie, you enjoyed it, or you didn't enjoy it. It wasn't your fault. It's what the directors decided. It's what the actors did, you know. Uh, you taste the food, you enjoyed it, or you didn't enjoy it. You don't necessarily choose what to delight in. There's certain foods you like and certain foods you don't like. And that's the way of life. There's colors you like, colors you don't like. There's a style of dress that you've chosen and a style of dress that you definitely don't choose. And you kind of SMH when you see other people wearing the new styles of the day, right? These are things that you didn't sit at home and go, you know what, I'm going to like this. You, you like things or you don't like things, it seems to us. But not the way he's describing delight. If you look at those last couple verses, he says in 14, in the, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much in all, as in all riches. And then 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So there's four things he's going to do with Scripture. He's going to meditate on it. He's going to fix his eyes on it. The last one is he's going to not forget it. And in the middle there, he's got, I'm going to delight in it. Now, either the first two and the fourth one are things that he has to decide to do. He has to commit to do it, and then delight, he's just sneaking one in there that this one just comes to you or doesn't come to you. Probably not. Because the Hebrew device is parallelism. In other words, the first line tells you something and the second line completes it or the second line repeats it. It's parallel. It's not which one doesn't belong. That he's not playing the which one doesn't belong game. He's saying the same thing over and over and over. Meaning, by delight, he doesn't mean he wakes up and just automatically feels like it. Life is happening and he's just like, man, I just really feel, I could really just go for a passage of scripture right now where everyone else wants coffee or something, right? How does he delight in it? He delights in it by committing to it. The delight follows commitment. So he surrounds delight with words like, I will meditate on it. You don't accidentally meditate on something. You have to take time to focus. And he says as much, I fix my eyes on it. I stay undistracted, and I look at it to learn it so that you teach it to me. And then verse 16, I will not forget it. He doesn't leave it in his morning devotional time, but he carries it with him. And he tries to apply what he learned or what she learned to, to life situations, keeping it, storing it, and remembering it in the moment. That's what a student of Scripture looks like. So Scripture demands our focus, and Scripture demands a diligence in not forgetting it. It, it. it takes effort to be a student of God's Word. And this is why in verse 10, he says, I seek you with my whole heart. Whatever your strategy might be this year, whether it's to read through the Bible in a year or three years, or start a devotional, or whatever your commitments might be to try to take discipleship a little more seriously, we won't get very far if we don't commit to being students of God's Word. One of the greatest things that came out of the Reformation was a move away from the Catholic way of thinking where as long as the priests have the knowledge, they can stand up there and speak to us in Latin and we don't understand what's going on, but that's okay because Knowledge is the priest's job. 
And so you have guys on the run getting killed because they're translating the Bible from the Latin Vulgate into the language of the people. And that was a big no-no. What are the people going to do with this information? It's too crazy. Everyone's going to run around with their own interpretations. We have to be the guardians of the interpretation, the priests say. So I'm not here to disparage the Catholic Church. What I'm saying is take advantage of the fact that you're Protestant. You have a Bible in your lap that you're expected to learn, that you're expected to open and study. It doesn't make any sense to not be Catholic and then be a functional Catholic where the only thing you learn is whatever the priest tells you on Sunday. Be a student. Learn it one little piece at a time. You need help looking at it? That's what growth groups are for. I didn't didn't understand this part. I, I thought this. What do you think? Well, I thought that. Let's go. Let's learn what it says. Not so that we leave understanding just each other's opinions, but so we help each other get to what the text is saying. We want to meditate on it and store it in our hearts so that we don't sin. If we're really committed to discipleship, we'll be committed to the manual. We'll be committed to the commandments. We'll we'll long for the rules. If we don't long for the rules, it might be because we don't really care about purity, which is a bigger problem. If you're a Christian, you remember Christ's promise in John 15, 7. If you abide in me, if you dwell in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We're going to unpack that thought a little more next week because it relates to prayer. We're going to talk about prayer next week. But Think about what Jesus is saying there. This relationship where we're so close, so intimate, so together that you ask and I give and you ask and I give. It's not you ask and I'm like, you're asking wrong. Or you ask and it's like Jesus is saying, well, your motive is bad. How do you get to the place where your motives are in the right place, you're asking for the right things, such that his answer is yes, 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 yes. Whatever you ask, I'm going to give it to you because we're, we're in tune, we're in sync. How do you get there? My words abide in you and you abide in me. How do you abide in me? My words dwell in you. They live there. Not make it up as I go Christianity. Studying his commandments and his statutes and his precepts and longing for them, that develops the discipleship that makes prayer effective. You want to get there? Let's study. We're going to close our time with a song. And this particular song, I think, is uh, relevant because the melody is a recognizable melody. The melody is one that's uh, common, especially Christmas time, especially New Year's. Uh, So you'll recognize the tune, but the words have been altered. The words have been changed. So as we enter this new year together, what do we want? We want Christ to dwell in us. We want to dwell in Christ. We want his words abiding in us. We want to abide in his words for his glory. We want to grow in disciples because we're disciples of Christ. We want to give all things to him this year. Do it for his glory. Ask him for strength to be the disciple that he's calling you to be for his name so that he gets all the credit for this year, all the credit for your discipleship. Surrender it to him as we sing this song together. I invite you to stand.
as we sing.